you have your Bibles, you can turn to Mark chapter 12. We'll be in Mark 12 today. Um, and while you're pulling that up, just a couple of things I want to just chat about real quick. Things that really Adam already talked about, but I just want to share my heart on them as well. Um, next week, we're starting that sermon series by design, which will just go through um, the biblical design for both men and women. And I'm really excited about it. Uh, I think our culture has a lot to say about what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman. And sometimes those uh, don't line up, uh, oftentimes those don't line up with God's design for men and women. So we're going to look through the Bible, and th- starting in Genesis, and just kind of talk about for four weeks what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, how God designed us and created us, and, and how when we walk in that and all that God has called us to as men, as, as, and all that God has called us to as women, um, then society flourishes. The, uh, those around us flourish. And so I'm excited about that. Um, I was talking to some friends before church, and uh, I do just want to ask everyone, when you think about it this week, just be praying for me. Uh, I'll be preaching about women, and I'm not one, and never been one, so I'm a little excited slash super anxious and nervous about it. So uh, just be praying for me on that front. That would be outstanding. Um, and I think that's it. Oh, so the other thing is get in the grove. I'm really excited about uh, let's get in the grove. And so that's next week right after church. If, if you're uh, someone who, who's been coming to the grove for, you know, since we've, we're in my living room, or if you're someone who's been coming since just like the last couple of months or last couple of weeks, uh, I just can't be more excited about this event next week after church. Um, this is going to be an opportunity for us to kind of share the vision, the mission of the church, answer any questions, um, talk about what it, what it means to become a member of the church, why membership I think is important and biblical, um, what, uh, how you can connect with each other here at the Grove, how you can grow in your walk with Christ. So there's going to be a lot of things covered, um, and I'm really excited about it, and we have some, some cool things to share with you guys. So if, if that's you and you want to be a part of that, you can RSVP at getin.thegrovesp.com. Um, getin.thegrovesp.com. And, and as Adam said, that's online as well. Um, I think that's it. So uh, today, like I said, we'll be in Mark chapter 12. Um, before I get there, I want to talk about a man who this country owes a great debt of gratitude to because he continuously just saves this country from disaster. Uh, and that man is called Jack Bauer. And, and Jack Bauer uh, just continuously within the time span of 24 hours, saves this country from disaster over and over again. And, and I, uh, when I was in Bible college, my Romans um, professor was talking about how awesome this show 24 was. And so I was, he just kept talking. I talked about 24 in the office all the time. And so I was like, man, I really, I've seen The Office. I love The Office. I got to go home and watch 24. So during Christmas break, I went home and I, I got, uh, we had to rent things back then. There really wasn't a whole lot of streaming yet. Um, there was, but I lived in, in the mountains of, uh, of California and we didn't have super good internet. So I, I rent and I rented all the 24s and I was watching them. And in the span of two weeks, I watched like four or five seasons. That's a lot. That's like crazy. And I'm a little ashamed of myself. But I remember there was this one point in season three uh, I, I, know, I think it was four seasons, it was at least four seasons I had on DVD, which is like 20-something uh, discs, DVDs. And so I was in season three, and, and, and Jack, and, and the whole point of, of season three, throughout the entire day, Jack and President David Palmer, they're, they're trying to stop this deadly virus from, from just destroying the United States by this guy named Stephen Saunders. And it's this, it's this really cool story, and 
And Jack Bauer, he, he's about to go into this house. And, and, and because the cameras show us what's already in that house, I know this is a really bad idea. Jack should not be going in this house. They're waiting for Jack to go into this house. So I'm, I'm super nervous and I'm worried about Jack. And, and because if, this is, if this virus gets let out, then like, man, so many people are going to die. And it was, it, was really, it was really terrifying to watch. And so I'm watching this and I'm super scared for Jack. I'm on the edge of my seat. And then I realize, man, I have season four sitting right over there. Like nothing's going to happen to Jack. Like, I literally, like, I was scared that Jack was going to get hurt, yet I know that, that, that Jack Bauer's face was on the front of this DVD in season four, so he was going to be okay. And so I, was, I had this sigh of relief. I still got to enjoy season three, even though I knew the ending would be okay. And he ended up saving, saving everything. Um, he had to do some really shady stuff, kind of had a breakdown at the end, uh, but then went back to work uh, the next day. So um, it's a really good, really good television show. I really enjoy it. But there is this moment where I realize that oftentimes we get anxious in life too, and we're, we're worried about life, and we live like this is all there is. We don't know what's going to happen, but the reality is we have this Bible, and it tells us what's going to happen in the end. We know the end of the story. We absolutely know the end of the story, so we don't have to worry. We, can, we don't have to live in hopelessness or, or live in, in a uh, state of, um, of like carpe diem, like this, like, I, I got to live for today because I because, man, like, this is it. This is all I have. Eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. Like, we don't have to live like that because we know what tomorrow holds for us. We know what the morning holds for us. So I want to read from, uh, first from Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through uh, 5. And so I'll turn there. You guys can turn there, too. I know I told you to go to Mark chapter 12, and I apologize for that. But we'll be in Revelation first. It, it, for those who, who might not be used to church or in your Bibles... Uh, Revelation is the last book of the Bible. Um, I know when I first came to Christian high school, I had to use my table of contents all the time at the beginning, uh, and it was embarrassing, but I want everyone to know using your table of contents here is not embarrassing, but you can just flip to the back of your Bible and you'll probably find Revelation. So we'll be in Revelation chapter 21, and I'll read verses 1 through 5. And it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and, he, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear, from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And so we have this picture of what the end's going to look like that God will be among his people, that, that he, they will be his people and he will be their God and he'll, there'll be no more pain and he'll wipe away every tear and death shall be no more, no more mourning, crying, pain, all the former things, all those things will pass away and it'll be just like it was in the garden except it'll be a city. It'll, it, it'll have grown into a city. And so there's that exciting, like when we, when we begin with the end in mind, with the end of the story in mind, it gives us the strength and the power to live out today, right now. That, that our hope is not in um, today, but our hope is in tomorrow. Our hope is in what God is bringing, that Jesus came and he left and he's coming back and he's returning back with a new earth and a new heaven, one that has no pain, no suffering, no mourning, no tears. And so, we can live in this hope, hopefulness that this day will happen. So today, we're going to look at a little bit what it means to live in the moment, what it means to, to live knowing the end, how we 
do not have to despair or give up, give up when things are bad because we have hope for the future. So Mark, back to Mark chapter 12 for reals this time, starting verse 18. And Sadducees came to him who say there is no resurrection, and they asked him a question saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife, but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, left no offspring. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third, likewise. And the seven left no offspring. Last of, the woman, last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as wife. Verse 24, Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the living. You are quite wrong. And so the Sadducees, we're, we're in this story uh, where Jesus is in Jerusalem. He's ridden on, into Jerusalem on a donkey like, a, like a, a, a king, but it was a donkey, so it was like this uh, kind of weird king. Uh, but people were excited, and, and now he's in the temple courts, and he's, he's turned over the temple. He's, he's, he's turned over uh, the, the, the tables, and everyone who's making a business out of where the Gentiles are to come and pray, he's turned all that over. And so now we're, we're in the middle of these stories where people are coming, the, the religious leaders are coming to him, the political leaders are coming to him, and, and asking him questions, trying to trip him up, trying to get him in trouble. And so the Sadducees are the next ones. Last week, we, we talked about the Pharisees and the Herodians and, and how they came together and, and tried to trip Jesus up about taxes. And this week, the Sadducees are coming. And the Sadducees are religious leaders, just like the Pharisees were, but they differed in one or two major things. And, and the first thing that the Sadducees um, differed in was that they didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in afterlife. They just believed this life was all that you had. This was the only life you had, and so you lived for today. The second thing they believed was that only the first... Uh, only the Pentateuch, the, the first five books of the Bible were holy books. Only the first five books. So, so when you look at the Old Testament, only the, they only believed the first five books were the word of God, and they only looked to the first five books, and they believed there was no afterlife. And I think it's funny that they ask this hypothetical question because they don't even believe in the question they're asking. They're just asking Jesus a question, trying to get him in trouble, trying to trip him up, trying to help the Pharisees and the Herodians have a charge against him. And when I was reading this, I began to, to, to kind of just in my heart judge the Sadducees, like, man, like, how could they do this? How could they question Jesus? How could they question the resurrection? The, the, the Bible's clear that there's an afterlife. The Bible's clear there's life after death. But then I thought, how often do I look at the Bible and I think about the parts that I believe and I, and I question and doubt the parts that are hard to believe, the questions that I don't even want to believe? How often do I wonder if there really is something to come? How often do I wonder if this is really all that there is, or if there's something more to that. And so I began to kind of identify with the Sadducees a little bit. Sometimes, even though I believe that there's something to come, I live like a Sadducee. I live like this is all that I have, and I live for today, and I live for the moment. I think oftentimes as Christians, we believe that there's a heaven, but we live like Sadducees as if this is all there is. So they ask this hypothetical question, 
Jesus, what's going to happen to this, to this, this uh, woman? She's been married to seven people. In the afterlife, whose wife will she be? And Jesus said to them, in verse 24, he said, Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. And I love that Jesus is super upfront with them. He says they're wrong. Just straight up, first thing out of his mouth, you're wrong. And here's why you're wrong. Because you don't understand the scriptures and you don't understand the power of God. You don't trust the power of God. He provided the resurrection to them um, from their accepted portions of scripture. So they only looked at the five first books of the Bible. And so he goes back to the five first books of the Bible and he says in verse 26, and as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, which is the first five books, in the passage about the bush, how God said to him saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. So the Sadducees, these are people who memorized the first five books of the Bible. Like think about that for a second. They had the first five books of the Bible completely memorized. They could just recite it from heart. There weren't verses and chapters, so they could, you couldn't like do like Bible drill and get them up in front of the, and be like, hey, what's Exodus you know, 2, 4? They couldn't do that because there weren't those verses, there weren't chapters, but they could just start reading from or reciting from the first five books of the Bible. So just the idea that Jesus says, have you not read? is just funny to me. It's, it's really insulting because it's not only have they read it, they've memorized it. And so it was just this insulting, have you not read the book of Moses? Remember when God said, I am the God of Abraham? God, Moses, this holy book that you believe, God is saying, I am the God of Abraham, present te te uh, tense. The problem with that is when God is saying, I am the God of Abraham, Abraham's been dead for 400 years. And so Jesus is saying, God saying, I am currently the God of Abraham. Even though he died 400 years ago, I am the God of the living. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so he's going back to their text saying, have you not read? Like, God is the God of the living. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob. He, he is their God because they are not just dead and their life ends, but life goes on after death. He's, God spoke in the present tense. And so we believe as Christians that there is a life after death, that, that though everyone dies, that there's life after death for every single person, whether they believe or not. For those who have come under the banner of grace and come under Christ as, as, their, as their Savior and as their God, they'll be raised to eternal life. And for those who don't believe, for those who have not been brought up under the banner of grace, that they will be raised to judgment. And so Christians, is not, it's not that some will, some will uh, be raised and some won't. As Christians, biblically, we, we believe all men and women will be raised, some to eternal life and communion with God and some to judgment. And so Jesus questions their belief in the future. He says, if you don't believe there is a future, that God has spoken of a future, that he is powerful enough to bring about that future, of course you don't believe in the afterlife. So they're doubting God's power that he was able to, to raise people from the dead. He was able to provide an afterlife. And if you don't believe in an afterlife, you're going to live like this life is all there is. I think oftentimes we think about heaven in terms of what we know and not what the Bible says. And so we, we think about heaven. Um, uh, I think a lot of Christians don't really understand heaven because 
we grow up watching like cartoons or grow up watching TV and heaven looks like a bunch of people in white robes playing harps on clouds. And to be honest, growing up, that picture of heaven sounded horrifying to me. It just, like, that's not what I want to do. Like, I don't want to be singing for eternity. I don't like singing now. I'm not going to like it then. Like, I don't want, I don't know if I want to be a part of that. And so we have this view of heaven and we don't even, we don't even, I mean, most of us, if we be honest, we don't even like the idea. And I think it's funny because we live in this, uh, this culture in the Bible Belt where everyone's a Christian. Everyone's a Christian. Everyone's been to VBS, right? And, and, and you pray the sinner's prayer and, and you, you get declared saved and you get baptized and you, um, you get to you know, be a part of the church and you go to Sunday school every day and you get your little perfect attendance pins because you watch someone play with the felt board for a while. And I didn't know perfect attendance pins existed until, um, until high school. And, and I went to this, this church and they had these perfect attendance pins um, and these people looked like General Patton, like coming to church. Like it was just like all these pins for all these years they came. And it was, to me, you know, not, not being a part of that, I was like, man, this is, this is weird. Like, why is it like, they're like, these children are like almost falling forward because they have so much metal on their chest. Um, and, they, and, they think, and, and, and they think that everyone thinks that they're a Christian because they prayed this prayer. And, and here, here's my problem with that is that there's so many people who prayed the sinner's prayer they have no desire to follow Christ. They have no desire to worship. And, and, and so because that they have no desire to worship here on earth, I'm afraid that they're, even if they went to heaven, they're not going to like it that much. Because they don't have a desire to worship God here, I'm not sure they're going to want to worship him for eternity. And, and, and for the record, I don't think heaven is us sitting on clouds with harps and, and, and playing music. And, and we don't, I don't think we get wings. I don't, when Jesus says they're like the angels, that's not what he's, he's, not, that's not what he's talking about here. We don't get wings. Um, in heaven. I think Red Bull might give you wings, but heaven does not give you wings. Uh, that's not what this verse is saying. And so the, the, the reality is, is heaven is good. It's not boring. It is this eternal communion with God. We're going back to the garden, but this time it's a city. We read in Revelation how it's going to be a city and, and, and God's going to be among his people and we'll be there with him. And, and it is a good thing. We'll be a new heaven and a new earth and we'll, we'll be with God and we'll have jobs to do and we'll, we'll continue to, to make the rest of the world look like this city in Jerusalem. And it is this exciting time. Like I believe that uh, God's going to, going to have this, this, this world for us that, that is, is the way it was supposed to be created. And there will be all the same animals that God meant for there to be and none of the thorns and thistles that were never meant to be but that came as part of the fall. And it is this exciting part of heaven, this exciting part of eternity. But I think oftentimes we don't think about it or we think about it in the context in which we've heard about it and it doesn't sound that fun. It doesn't sound that exciting. And so we live for today because, because we're afraid that when I die, I'm going to go to this boring place. So I have to have my fun today. Like, like I know, and I was like that. Like when, when I was uh, young, like I wanted to make sure I got married before I died because like I thought, man, like I've got to enjoy life now because life after death sounds super boring. It sounds like I'm going to be sitting around singing. I think there's that song, uh, it was Amazing Grace. Like we've been there 10,000 years. No, no uh, I don't know how it goes, but you're singing for 10,000 years basically. And that just sounds like, it just didn't sound fun to me. So that I have to have, I, have to, I want to make sure I get married, I want to make sure I have children, I make sure I do all these things that I want to accomplish before I die because I'm not going to enjoy things afterwards. And that's just simply not true. Heaven, afterlife, being face to face with Jesus is better than anything on this earth. 
It's absolutely better than anything on this earth. And that's why Paul and Philippians say, can say that to live is Christ, but to die is gain. That when, when I die, when I, when I go to heaven, when I get to meet Christ again face to face, that it's going to be better than anything this earth, earth can give me. He's, he's like, if I live, that's great. If I live, I get to talk about Christ and I get to, get to push the gospel out even further into Asia and to Europe. But if I die, man, that's great too. In fact, that's even better. That's gain. That's better than if I was to continue to live. And, and I think that's the kind of faith where he believes in what God has said about the afterlife, that it's better you get to be with Christ again. I think when we think about uh, these things, we, we find ourselves in one of two errors. Um, so I want to talk about the way we think about this world. Uh, if we think of this world as all there is, we find ourselves in one of two errors. And the first one is this air of, of, of hedonism or, or where we want to just pursue the pleasures of today that this world can offer because we just want to get as much pleasure and as much comfort as we possibly can. It's that idea we said earlier, that carpe diem that sees the day that um, if this is all we get, then we have to have fun. If this is all that we have, we find ourselves using the motto, if it feels good, I just want to do it because I need to enjoy this life. So if, if it's enjoyable to watch this TV show or if it's enjoyable to pursue this relationship, I'm going to do it because I'm missing out if I don't. We believe that there's no consequences. There's no afterlife. So we, we try and get all that we can now. I think the most common one among Christians, though, is the air of hopelessness. This idea that this world is all there is, there's no meaning, there's no value, there's no point. So we just kind of go through the motions. We kind of just go to church, we, um, we go to the things we know we're supposed to do, we open our Bible sometimes, we pray sometimes, but there's no real excitement about the future, excitement about Jesus' return. And so, so there's, this, there's this kind of hopelessness. We might never ever say it's, it's hopelessness, but there's this kind of hopelessness where I'm just not excited about where Jesus, about Jesus coming back. But Jesus answers these in a unique way. He says in verse 24, we'll read again. Jesus said to them, is this not the reason you are wrong because you, neither know, uh, you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God? For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but we are like, angel, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, you have not read in the book of Moses in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to them saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. So Jesus answers this in two ways, two very specific ways, one theologically and one rash, uh, relationally. And so the theological one we already talked about, where he goes back and he says, he says uh, um, that God is the God of the living. There is an afterlife. There is a resurrection because he's the God of the living. He, he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he says, for when they rise from the dead, for when, not if they rise from the dead, for when they rise from the dead. He's assuming that there's a resurrection going to take place. He's assuming um, that it's going to happen. He states this very strongly, not if, but when. And this is a New Testament teaching that we see that all will rise. Some will rise, like we said, to eternal life and some to judgment, um, but all will rise. This idea of resurrection is discussed over and over again throughout the New Testament. In John chapter eleven twenty five, 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. 1 Corinthians 15, 21 through 22, Paul says, for as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. 1 Peter 1, 3, and 4 says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, 
to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. See, there's a coming day when our bodies will be raised from the dead. Jesus was challenging the Sadducees, saying, when this happens, not if this happens, there will be a day when you will be raised from the dead, where sin is no longer identity, death is no longer our destiny, but we are victorious in Christ. And to be honest, when I was, when I was first a Christian, I wasn't super excited about this, having a new body, because it wasn't that cool of an idea. Like I, I was pretty healthy and I felt good and I could do things. But now I'm a little bit later in life and, and no one ever told me, or maybe they did and I didn't listen, that like as you get older, like sleeping is one of the most dangerous things you can do. Like I just, sometimes it's like I go to bed and I wake up and my back hurts like for no reason at all. Like just, I'm like walking around with my back, just hold my back. My, Margie's like, what, what's wrong? What happened? I don't know. I think I just slept and my back hurts. Like, that's not good, right? So we had to get a new mattress, and it's a little better, but it's starting to get bad, bad again. I don't know if, if the mattress needs to be flipped or something. But anyway, sleeping can hurt you. So, the, so now I'm later in this life, this idea of, 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 a, of a new body, a resurrected body is actually kind of exciting because I just, I do, the little things like looking forward to like sleeping and not having back pain sounds glorious. Um, but theologically, Christ is pointing to that day where Jesus will return, there'll be no more pain, no more suffering, tears, or mourning. And then relationally, he talks to him, and he answers the question, is there marriage in heaven? And he says, there's not marriage in heaven. And we don't like to talk about this because it's not super romantic, right? The idea that marriage ends, it's this, this idea that till death do us part, right? It's not for eternity. We say things like, I'll, I'll, I'll love you forever, and I'll be with you forever, um, and I think you will love your spouse forever. Uh, I think you will be with them forever, but it won't be marriage, and it certainly won't be marriage in heaven like we think about marriage today. I know that's not fun. I know it's not super sexy but, or romantic, but it's, it's what Christ is saying here. And the reason is, in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, Paul discusses that the reason for marriage is to be a signpost to a greater reality. It's a shadow of what's to come. That marriage is not the end all of human existence, but marriage points to a greater relationship, that between Jesus and his church. That marriage is supposed to show the world how Christ feels about his church, how Christ feels about his people. And so that's why when, we, when, when, when at The Grove we talk about marriage, we talk about how, how men are to be, and we'll talk about this in By Design, but how men are to be the head of their household. That's not this like, like iron rod and like, this is what you're going to do, but it's this laying down of your life like Christ did on the cross for your wife, for your children. And, and, and so marriage, this family unit is a signpost. It's a shadow of something better. It's a picture of a greater reality of the love of God that he has for us. So the whole purpose of marriage isn't to be this forever thing because when, 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 when the resurrection comes, when we're in heaven, we don't have to be married anymore because it's, we're no longer pointing to a greater reality. We're living that greater reality. We're there. We're there with Christ. We have that communion with God face to face. We don't need things to point to that anymore because we have it. And I think sometimes in Christianity, we make marriage the end all of human existence. Like marriage is going to solve all your problems. Like so many times I have people I love dearly who will counsel other singles or counsel singles, and they'll say things like, like, oh, you just have to, you know, like, well, you get married, it'll be better. Like, you just need to go, go, find, a, go find a husband. And oftentimes it happens with, with uh, older women talking to younger women, like, oh, you just gotta like, find a husband and, and that'll be good and you'll be happy. Like, so like, if you start playing matchmaker, like, I'm gonna try and find someone for you. I'm not saying all these things are bad, 
But the, 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 the bad part is when we, when we convey to someone that marriage is the point of your existence, that once you get married, you'll have this joy, you'll have all that you need. For one, it's simply not true. Things monumentally got harder in my life when I got married, not better. I, real, I was not selfish till I got married, I promise. Um, or no, I think it just I got, it pointed out more that when I was, when I was married. There was uh, a, a really distinct time where I realized how selfish I was when I got up before my wife and I went to the fridge and I poured uh, a bowl of cereal and I took the last of the milk, not even thinking about it. Like, hey, I'm just pouring, oh, our milk's gone. You know, I just ate my cereal, Margie comes out. She literally pulls a bowl down, pours her cereal in and goes to the fridge. I'm watching it happen. I'm like, I don't know what to say right now. Like she's going to get milk that I know is not there. I don't know how this is gonna go down. And because we were just like a couple weeks into our marriage. And so it didn't go down well. But, um, and, and, and I realized how selfish I was. Like marriage doesn't make things easier. You take two sinners and you put them in a house in close quarters, like opposite sex, especially. Like it, it doesn't go very well at first. It's hard. It is very hard. It's not the end all of human existence. The other story that I like to tell is this. There was this time where uh, my wife, uh, I, I, I'm not used. I wasn't used. I was young. I, was, I got married when I was 18. That's not a good excuse. Uh, but I would like throw my towels on the floor. Is that, is that, like, I know I'm ashamed of that now. Like, I feel like that's so dumb that I would do that, that I think that was a good idea, but I just leave my towel on the floor. Um, I did it in college. I did it um, when, I was, when I was little growing up. And so I remember this one moment, Margie picked up the towel and brought it to me. And she asked the question, she said, what is this? And I didn't know what she was talking about. Like, I was a little worried that she didn't know what a towel was. And like, we just got married. I was like, who did I marry? Like, she doesn't know what a towel is? Like, how does she not know this? But it turns out that she was just asking me why it was on the floor. And so I just, just, just marriage doesn't make things easier. It doesn't bring joy to your life at first. It brings a lot of hardship to your life. But marriage is great. Marriage is fantastic. Don't let me hear you say marriage is bad because it's not. But it is not the end all of human existence. The other reason why I think this is obviously true is that Jesus never married. Jesus never got married. He never had kids. And if we make our existence surrounded around getting married and building a family, we are saying that Jesus never experienced the fullness of joy here on earth. We're saying because Jesus never got married, he never had children, it means he didn't experience the fullness of joy on earth. And for me to experience the fullness of joy, I need to get married and I need to have kids. And the problem with that is when your idea of joy doesn't include your God, something's wrong there. And so marriage is, or, uh, life is not about getting married. Life is not about uh, marriage or family. Life is about our relationship with Christ, our relationship with Jesus. And so we can't make marriage this end all to our existence. And we have to stop talking about it like it's what everyone needs to be happy because it's not. You don't need to get married to be happy. You don't need to be married to have joy in your life. Absolutely don't. And when I hear people alluding to that with others, I just want to say like, shut the heck up. Like this is, you're, you're, you're romanticizing something that is not meant to be romanticized. Marriage is absolutely meant to be romanticized, but it's not this idea of like, you complete, complete me. That is not, Jerry Maguire was not right about that. Your spouse will not complete you. Your spouse makes a crummy God. Children make the worst God. And we talk about it all the time. When we try and make our spouse be our God and get from our spouse what we're meant to get from Jesus, things will go horribly wrong in your marriage. But marriage is great because marriage points us to the relationship that Christ has for his church. And so when we think about marriage, we think about how you as men and, and relate to your wife, 
you are to relate to your wife how Christ relates to his church. So when you, see, you read here in the, in the Bible about how Jesus healing people and he's, he's, how he tells this little girl, he says, get up, sweetheart, like it's time to, to get up and, and she's raised from the dead. This idea like this tenderheartedness of Christ, that's how we are supposed to treat our spouse. It's how Christ treats his church and it's how we treat our wife. And so there's this, there's this picture that's being made and it's not that life's gonna be great. It's not that joy's found in marriage, but that joy is found in serving others. And marriage is a great way to serve others, to serve someone else other than yourself. So when we get to heaven, there won't be marriage because we'll be there with Christ. Now, I do want to say a caveat to this. I do think in heaven, it's not like we're all going to have blinders on and like all we see is Jesus, we don't see each other. I don't think that's it either because even in the Garden of Eden, uh, God said, man is not good. It is not good for man to be alone. Let me create a helper suitable for him. And so we absolutely will have, I think, deep, eternal relationships with one another. I think we will know each other, those whom we know on earth. Um, human relationships were always a part of God's initial design. But Jesus makes it clear here that marriage is momentary, that marriage is for here on earth, and it's not meant to last forever, but it points to something greater that lasts forever. And so all I really want you to hear today is that Jesus is better than everything else and we should live with that in mind. That you don't have to take shortcuts in life to get the things that you think will bring you the most joy because Christ brings you the most joy and one day he will come back and get you if you're his child. One day he will return and he will take you up with him into eternity. We shouldn't trifle around with with some of the pleasures here on earth because we think that we need to, to find joy here on earth, but we can wait with hope and, and patience for Christ to return, that the great and glorious day of the Lord is, is coming. And that's exciting. That this, this, we don't have to live in hopelessness. We don't, when we hear these, um, and, and these are terrifying events, when we hear things about like North Korea or um, we hear things about terrorism in the world, like those are horrible things and we should mourn those things and we should be saddened by those things. But as Christians, we're not hopeless. We know there's a day where these things aren't gonna happen anymore, where these things will not be reality. I wanna read a couple quotes that I love. Um, about this, and then I'll, and I'll close. The first one's from a guy named Randy Alcorn. He says, you should seek happiness where you can actually find it in the person of Jesus in the place of heaven. And Charles Spurgeon also talked about this idea. He said, to come to God is to come home from exile, to come to land out of the raging storm, to come to rest after a long labor, to come to the goal of our desire and the summit of our wishes that Christ is enough for us. Whether we have marriage, whether we don't, whether our, our marriage is incredible or it's not, Christ is enough for us. Jesus is enough in this life and the one to come. But the good news is there's a day coming where you will walk into the presence of God and you will commune with him like Adam and Eve did and you will enjoy his presence and he will be your God and you will be his people I love how possessive the Bible is about his people and God. That like, absolutely, Jesus is our God. Absolutely, but Jesus is my God. That it's this possessive, this personal, Christ is my God. He's my savior. He's my rock. He's my, the summit of my desires. He's all that I need in life. And marriage is great, 
but it's not the end. All the things this life brings, chocolate is fantastic. TV, television, entertainment is so fun. Vacationing is absolutely fun. But the thing we need most, more than food, more than relationships, more than anything on this earth is Jesus, is Christ. And so my prayer is that we would come to him all the time. Whenever we're, we're, um, we're pressed and we're, uh, we have a hard day, we wouldn't go to food or to drink or to relationships. We come to him first. We'd always come to him. We wouldn't try and put the pressure of making our life better, our day better on our marriage, but we put that on Christ, the only person who can hold it. My hope is that we wouldn't waste our life on trivial things and, and pleasures, assuming that this is all there is and I have to be happy today, but rather we would trust in Christ's word that there's a day coming that God's power will accomplish his word, that God's power will accomplish his promise. We lean forward in hope that God is the God of the living and we will enter rest and God will take us home. And until then, we live in light of this reality. And everything we look at as we see our life, we see our relationships, our friends, we see through the lens of this is not all there is. I don't have to make this better. I don't have to to tell my wife how to act. I don't have to uh, freak out when my kids are disobedient. I don't have to, to freak out when when work seems overwhelming, and if I'm going to do a good job at work, I have to spend all this time and energy. I don't have to freak out at these things because I know there's a day coming where work will not be by the sweat of my brow, but work will be easy and enjoyable. There's a day coming where relationships will just work because sin will be no more. So we can see life through that reality, see life through that lens. I'll, uh, we'll sing a couple songs and I'll come up and pray, but just as we're singing, as we're worshiping the Lord, just be thinking about how you see life and how you treat the pleasures of this world. Are, are, we, are we sacrificing um, godliness to seek pleasures of this world and the trivial things of this world? Or are we pursuing Christ? Are we putting too much pressure on our spouse, on our kids, on our work, on all these other things? Or are we coming to Christ as we should? And then I'll come back up and pray. Let's pray. Father, I just uh, come before you, Lord, just thankful for your word, God, that, um, that you've given us the promise of new life, Lord, that you've given us the promise of a day that's going to come where all the wrongs of the world will be made right, Lord. And Lord, I just pray, God, that we as a people can just live in light of that, Lord. We can live in light of, we know the end of the story. And you would, that would just shape how we are to live today, that how we treat our wife, how we treat our kids, how we work, how we, um, how we relate to one another, Lord. We would just live in light of eternity instead of today's all that, that I have, God. And I pray that you would just work that and well it up into our hearts, Lord, that you would show us what it means to live hopeful lives, Lord. Um, and I pray, God, uh, that you would just be with us this week, God, as, as we go out and as we uh, go to work and as we um, just go home, Lord, that you would just strengthen our faith and our, our belief in your word and your power, that you're able to fulfill all the promises that you make for us, God. Lord, so I pray for these people here tonight, today, this morning, Lord, that you would just bless them, that you'd go before them, Lord, and you just prepare the way uh, for them to walk in, Lord. Uh, the good works that you've prepared for us this week, Lord, we would just gladly serve one another. We gladly serve our wives, our spouses, our kids, Lord, uh, our neighbors, our coworkers, Lord, that we would just go out and make much of you and for your name. Lord, Father, I love you, and I'm thankful for all that you do, and I pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. I love you guys.